You said you'd come. Now let's hope you're not too late. Suicide Scottcast is the DC Universe podcast where I discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Apparently, I'm a big fan of all of what DC Comics is doing on the big and small screen, so I guess I'm going to talk all about it. So thanks for joining me tonight. Let's get started. My name is Scott, and I guess I am the Suicide Squad cast. Yeah. By the way, thanks, uh, Amari Daniels, for that excellent suggestion to how to modify the intro, because I am without a Tim tonight. This is weird. Two weeks in a row? Seriously? I don't know what to do with myself. I guess I'm just going to have to take this ball and run with it tonight. <laughs> so before we get started with this very interesting episode of the Suicide Squadcast, I, of course, to remind you that here at the Suicide Squadcast Network, we do have three other shows, which includes Fans Without Borders and DC TV Squadcast, hosted by Brenton Ray, and DC Comic Squadcast, uh, hosted by Chris and Jordan. So if your interest is in all things geeky, or the DCCW, or DC Comics themselves, We've got you covered here on the network. And, of course, I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has already donated and continues to support us on Patreon. And if you feel like that you can support us and that you'd like to, please head on over to patreon.com slash squadcastmedia, where at various dollars um, donations a month, you can help keep the lights on here at the Suicide Squadcast Network. But I always like to point out the $5 tier is what will get you access to a special RSS feed with exclusive bonus content and shows. Um, we It's been two weeks. We recorded that Superman 2 review. It's coming, folks. Seriously, Tim hasn't even been here in two weeks. I talked to him, I think, today, and he's had like he's worked on it for like 15 minutes. So it's coming. You, so Tim, Ray, and myself, you'll get to hear Superman 2 pretty soon, especially considering one of the news items we're going to talk about tonight, which is actually how I'm going to you know start off the show. But just a quick program. Note: Yes, Tim is still stuck in work hell. He has not been released by you know his his Lord Master Satan. So uh, I'm going to be doing the news solo tonight. But because I there wasn't a lot of news, I did solicit some questions from listeners, and so I'm going to sprinkle those in throughout the show as we talk about you know the related news. And I also thought it would be kind of nice because somebody you know who you are wasn't going to let it go. So I dug back into our archives and I found uh, listener questions that were literally from about a year ago that Tim and I never got around to recording a third part of a listener Q&A special. And so I'm going to clear out the mailbag and take care of that tonight all by my lonesome because I needed the content. So thank you everyone for your patience on that. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions yesterday that I was able to throw into the notes. And let's Let's get on with the news. Uh, speaking of Superman 2 and 
Superman the movie in general. Uh, it was announced that last Sunday that Margot Kidder, who of course uh, was best known for playing Lois Lane in the Christopher Reeve era Superman movies, passed away at the age of 69. Uh, this was announced from the Franz and Davis funeral home in Livingston, Montana, and no cause of death was disclosed. And I still have not heard it. I mean, it's been about a week, and I still haven't heard any updates on that. But, you know, our our thoughts go out to, you know, her friends and family. So thank you, Margot Kidder, for being a Lois Lane to many during that time. Uh, going on to some just sort of general Warner Brothers questions that I received. Uh, Adam Stabelli did ask me, what is your biggest fear if the AT&T Time Warner merger doesn't go through? And my answer to that, Adam, is that Warner Time Warner is going to start breaking off some divisions. And I'm a little uncomfortable about what would get broken off, where would it go, what, w- what would they sell off, what wouldn't they sell off. So I think that's really what my biggest fear is uh, regarding that. So I hope that helped. Once again, I know it's just me answering the question, but thank you, Adam. Uh, Anthony at underscore Brooklyn Batman did ask me, what do you think we'll get at San Diego Comic-Con this year? Uh, that was his first question. Well, Anthony, to answer that question, I'm, I'm really expecting this when we're going to get the Aquaman trailer. I think at this point, it's been so long that I really do think that they're going to wait for Hall H to finally premiere our first Aquaman trailer. And I'm also, now that Shazam's in post-production, I'm also expecting some Shazam uh, footage as well. And probably also some concept art for Wonder Woman 2 and probably some more details about that. So maybe they'll give us another updated slate. But I don't know if that's something we're going to see a whole lot of. But I can, I, I am almost certain we're going to see our first look at Aquaman, probably our first look at Shazam, and, and some Wonder Woman 2 concept artwork stuff. Uh, Anthony also asked, what's your best guess at what year The Flash, Man of Steel 2, and The Batman will be released? All three of those? Uh best guess I think of all of these the flash is the one that we'll probably see the soonest and followed probably by the Batman and I'm guessing 2020 at the earliest that's just my layman's guess on that and then Anthony also asked if you could have picked one DCEU film for Peter Jackson to direct what would it be Wow okay that's a really good question and I am really I've this is not original but somebody planted this into my head and I love loved this idea, but the Green Lantern Corps movie, would, or something cosmic like that. I would probably have said New Gods if Ava DuVernay had not already been tapped to do that job. So, you know, that's my answer. And then uh, Nathan uh, at Wobbly Boots 85 had a couple of questions, but this one was relevant right now, and he asked, Lucas agrees to make one DCEU epic, one and only one. What character or type of story would you want to see? Uh, something Kirby, I would think, maybe like Commandy or something like that. I just see it being something sort of very, you know, you know, that can appeal to that sort of Saturday morning serial mentality that he has really kind of uh, ridden along, like with Star Wars and Indiana Jones. So that's that's my idea for that. Uh, we've got some more questions because, like I said, a little light on the news this week, but we're getting to some other news that came up. Uh, with Aquaman, Jesse Jess asked, uh, since Ocean Master will be the main villain in the Aquaman movie, will Black Manta have a subplot in the movie by getting revenge on Arthur for his father's death? 
I really think that Black Manta is going to show up in uh, flashback, well, flashbacks, or it, we've been told that there is going to be origin elements in this movie, and so I feel like Black Manta, we're going to see that story play out. We may even see Black Manta as an ally of Ocean Master later on in the film, and then when I will assume Orm gets defeated, there'll probably be a tease of Black Manta becoming a bigger part, playing a bigger part as a villain in a future film. So that's my guess on that. And then TJ Terror asked, are you concerned at all about the possibility that people will be saying that Aquaman is too close to Black Panther and DC is copying Marvel? He says that he's a bit nervous about it. Honestly, no, because those kind of people, if that's their thinking, they're going to think that no matter what. We can all point out to the fact that Jason Momoa technically appeared on screen uh, before Black Panther uh, because Batman v Superman did get released about two months before Civil War, which was Black Panther's first appearance. I th- if I, and I'm sure someone might correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I would also say I think Jason Momoa was even cast as Aquaman long before uh, Chad Boswick was uh, cast as Black Panther. So I mean that's kind of my thoughts on that. You know they can make that argument if they want. They'd be wrong uh, or misguided, but it's never stopped anyone else from making those kind of statements before. So nah, I'm, they're gonna say it if they're gonna say it, and then I can just continue to ignore them like I ignore everything else that that of that ilk that gets said on the internet. So I wouldn't worry about TJ Terror. Don't be nervous. Uh, And then there was a question from Dr. Secret of the Ooze on Twitter asking about Man of Steel 2. Uh, Dr. Ooze was asking, what are your thoughts on the direction of Superman? They're obviously stalling on production as they don't know whether to go Man of Steel or Justice League style. That's a good question. Personally, I'm hoping that they might find something in the middle, something that maybe is closer to where, you know, Zack Snyder had and his crew had always said that the more a, a more traditional Superman was where the Superman story was going. Like, that was the arc they were trying to tell. And then, of course, what we got was an extremely... First, an accelerated version of that. And then with the reshoots, a just stop, no-go, let's just jump to this unnaturally fast development of this version of the character that we've never seen in this universe before. So, I I think there's a lot going on with they know they've got to get Man of Steel 2 or at least the new regime knows they've got to get Man of Steel 2 right. I'm sure there's a little bit of Henry Cavill making sure that he's negotiating a great contract deal for further appearances. And I'm hoping that they find a more traditional general audience version of Superman that is not as far gone as Justice League went but, it, but would have been a more natural progression from where, you know, the 36-hour Superman and Man of Steel to the revived and more confident Superman that Justice League was supposed to present to us. So that is my thoughts on that. Now, here's some news. Uh, Over on Vero this week, uh, Zack Snyder did share uh, some more goodies about his version and his vision of Justice League before it got changed. And he, he posted, like, Four story, four sets of storyboards on Vera. Uh, three sets of storyboards on Vero. 
with the following post. It read, Victor explains how the mother box got found apparently the Nazis had it near the end of the Second World War. Victor puts himself in the narrative up to his own creation. And then if you look at the storyboards, this obviously ties into that leaked uh, previs footage that we saw like opening weekend of Justice League that Ascended Ancient posted that showed Victor walking around in his Gotham University letterman jacket and there was Nazi banners and he seemed to be doing some sort of uh, VR experience. So obviously that was supposed to be a let's give you the history of my, of mankind's mother box and probably detailing how it made it from, you know, the ancient Earth times when they defeated Steppenwolf, how to it ended up with Star Labs. So that would have been so cool to see. So if you're on Vero and you want to check this out, there are some really interesting storyboards obviously done in Zack Snyder's personal style that showed, you know, basically what we were supposed to get, which was a history lesson of the mother box. So, I, I and it lo- looks like to me that it even uh, leads all the way up to, you know, the accident that uh, caused uh, Victor having to become the cyborg. And there was even uh, some re- a replaying of the scene that we saw in the surveillance footage from BVS of the mother box turning Victor into cyborg. So if you want to check that out, it is posted all around social media. It shouldn't be too hard to find. And now some Justice League questions that came in. Uh, Clayton Hinojosa asked, question for the show. Don't know if it's already been asked because it's a touchy subject, but what if the biggest gun the DC Universe streaming service has is the possibility of a Snyder Cut. It would, by pure observation, secure a safe amount of subscriptions from DC fans as well as Snyder fans. And Clayton, no, this this has been an idea that I've heard floated around a lot, that let the, let the DC Universe streaming service be a sort of an exclusive launching point for uh, the Snyder Cut of Justice League if and when it is is finished and released. I think it's I think it's an interesting idea. I question whether they would make more money from a more traditional home release, even a digital release. $15 a pop, $20 a pop, however much, you know, you want to charge for it. Now, that's just digital only, you know, probably more like $25, $30 if for people who want to get buy it physically either on Blu-ray or on 4K. And that's my only question. While I think the idea of using the streaming service as a as an exclusive home for the Snyder Cut would be interesting. I don't see how that makes Warner Brothers the money they'd be looking to to benefit from it. Because yes, a monthly subscription, a monthly subscription would be recurring, but then you also get into kind of the deal where people sign up for one month, watch it, and then they cancel their subscription. And I don't see one month of this streaming service costing the same amount as as, you know, me buying it, even a digital copy, you know, one time paying for the digital copy because I don't see a month of the streaming service costing $15, $20, which is what they can charge on any of these digital retailers. So I don't know. It, I, I guess the question becomes, do they think that people would continue with the streaming service after watching that version of the film if that would be their plan? 
I don't see it that way. I see it as they'd want to charge a full home release cost for it. But I'm not, I don't know a great deal about the numbers in that side of the business to know basically what generates the most profit for them at that point. And then TJ Terror had also asked, do you still have hopes that the Snyder Cut will get released at some point? It feels like it's so far away. Yes, I do still have hopes. Now, once again, as I have stated multiple times on the show, I don't know when that's going to be. And I have no reason, I have no reason to believe it's never going to be released. I do think it's going to be released, but I have no indication of when that will be. When that decision gets made, how does Warner Brothers decide that it is in their interest financially to make that happen? Uh, So, yes, I have hopes, but no, I have no idea when. And and he says it feels like it's so far away. Maybe it is. Maybe it won't be for a while, but I still have hope that one day it will be released. So, well, that's it for, like, technically movie news. Now, once again, there'll be some other movie-related questions later on the show. But really, our big news this week was TV news, because upfronts happened this week. And last week, during my short little update, I mentioned about some cancellations, and this week we got some more news. I'm going to be kind of stepping on Brent and Ray's toes when it comes to some of this news, but, eh. I'm recording first, so I get to talk about it first. Uh, The big news that came out of the CW's Upfront presentation was when Stephen Amell, Oliver Queen himself on uh, CW's Arrow, came on stage with the following announcement. We're incredibly excited to announce that we'll be doing another crossover event this fall on the CW, and we'll be introducing a new character. For the very first time appearing, we'll be fighting alongside Batwoman, which is terrific. The crossover is going to make it to air in December. I need to leave right now and start filming it. (laughs) And then uh, Mark Pedowitz, the boss over at the CW, and also added on by saying, we are adding the city of Gotham into the Arrowverse. And he said this will be another full-throttled, action-packed event. Now, one, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Two, yes! Three, this is so cool. Okay, that's pretty much how my emotions went through this. Uh, Now, this is great because it does pay off some Easter eggs that the Arrowverse and the CW have already laid out. You've got to remember that in the first season of The Flash, in the Time Vault, uh, Gideon had a newspaper that talked about in the year 2024 that there was going to be a merger between Wayne Tech and Queen Industries. So, we had already heard... So that was a neat little Easter egg that there was a Wayne Tech in the Arrowverse. And then, of course, in this season of Arrow, Stephen Amell had talked about... uh, He name-dropped Bruce Wayne in a press conference in one of the episodes this season. So it only makes sense that they finally pay off these Easter eggs by saying, yes, Gotham City does officially exist in our Arrowverse Earth-1. And then, uh, and then of course, I've always felt that Batwoman was an excellent character to include into, you know, the Arrowverse. Now, a question I do have is, will Batwoman and Gotham City be on Earth-1? Or are they going to be on Earth-38, where on Supergirl, they've already made references to Clark's friend with all the gadgets. So, I, you know, I guess my mind is, I think it'd be cool if maybe the crossover actually took place on Earth-38 this time instead of it taking place all over on Earth-1, because every one of the crossovers, including the ones that have had Supergirl, have taken place on Earth-1. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, Other news that 
came out of Upfronts is apparently the airing schedule for the CW shows is getting all shook up. So, what's staying the same? Flash is still on Tuesdays, and Black Lightning will still be on Tuesdays in the fall. What's... And Legends of Tomorrow is going to stay on Mondays this fall. However... Supergirl is being moved to Sundays. Interesting choice. And Arrow is also going to be on Mondays. So basically, within the first three days of the calendar week, all their superhero programming will be uh, wrapped up in neat little bow. Supergirl on Sunday, Arrow and Legends on Monday, Flash and Black Lightning on Tuesday. Personally, I like this idea. Uh, I've never, I have not enjoyed Arrow being stuck all the way on Thursday, feeling kind of separate. And to be honest, it also kind of screws with my ability to watch watch the shows because I really do kind of need them clumped at the beginning of the week so I've got the rest of the week to catch up on them using the CW app so I like this the only one that has me kind of scratching my head is sticking Supergirl on Sundays Sunday nights tend to be a honestly it's a premium cable night I mean HBO you know either whether it's Game of Thrones or Westworld or I think Showtime sometimes I mean Sundays is a is not normally a you know your broadcast network kind of night so I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of scratching my head about that one, but, you know, we'll see. The one thing I do enjoy is it all being early in the week, and I can kind of knock it out three days in a row. What this does sound like to me is you show Supergirl on Sunday, which means that those of us who are cord cutters are catching up on Monday. So that, if you're looking at not from a live television audience standpoint, but from a cord cutter watching it online audience, shifting it around does kind of make a little sense. So I'm just, I'm very interested to know what kind of games they're playing with that. Uh, now, regarding, I, I, there was a lot of people who, as soon as the Batwoman CW crossover news hit, sent in a lot of questions. So I, I wanted to go ahead and kind of knock those out before I finish up with some other TV news. Uh, Travis Hines on Twitter wrote in to say, Hey Scott, would love to know your thoughts on the current seasons of the DCCW shows and your Batwoman Gotham City joining DCCW thoughts as well. I know Ray and Brent cover the DCCW but would love to hear your thoughts as well. Oh, okay. Um, Batwoman Gotham City, I believe I've already addressed that. Awesome! Uh, I've always thought that if they were going to bring in a Bat-related character, Batwoman seemed like the perfect fit for the way that the CW and the Arrowverse love to write their shows. So, that made sense. As far as current seasons, um, Supergirl has been much better this year. I was not a big fan of Season 2. Season 3 has definitely been an uptick. Legends is Legends. Joking aside, Legends is my least favorite show. So it just continues to be what it is. If you like it, great. It's not my. It's not for me. So it just continues to be it. Uh, even though I will say, at least they didn't screw with Constantine. So I was very happy about that. Uh, Flash has been okay this season. Arrow has been so much stronger after midseason. And I, and and Ray and Brent have said this as well on DC TV Squadcast that when there was a shift that happened in season six, and after the shift, the show got a lot stronger. And I have to agree. I'm still doing some catch-up. I still need to watch the season finale. So I'm probably going to do that tonight after I finish recording. But so that's... And Black Lightning, uh, there was a... There was a... 
hiccup in my being able to watch that show. And I still need to binge most of the show on Netflix now. But what I saw of the first season of Black Lightning, I liked. And so I'm ready to jump on uh, Netflix and start with episode five and get through the rest of that season because I liked what I saw. Uh, Lady underscore TM on Twitter also asked about the Batwoman news. I think I've addressed that. But then Anthony J. Dorsey on Twitter asked, do you think today's news about Batwoman on the DCCW will preclude her from being in the DCEU? And to that I say, no, I don't. There's no reason that because she's in the, she gets introduced in the Arrowverse means that she won't show up in the movies. A lot of times, I can think of several examples, they have piloted a character. They've done a, a sort of proof of concept of the character on either a direct-to-video movie or on the CW shows to see if she's a character that audiences will connect with. Think about Slade Wilson slash Deathstroke showing up on Arrow, and then the Suicide Squad showing up on Arrow. That didn't stop them from being included in the DCEU. It just showed either that there was an interest in the character, or it introduced the character to the general audience through the TV show, that then when they went to go see the movie, they at least had some idea about, you know, who these people, who these characters were. Same thing happened when they did the Assault on Arkham animated movie, and Batwoman already has been introduced into the DC animated continuity with uh, Batman Bad Blood. So you know they're they're kind of they're they're playing that long game of we throw in an, we throw them in an animated movie, we introduce them through our popular CW shows, and then if it if all goes well, if the character clicks with the audience, then I actually think it it doesn't preclude them from being included in the DCU. I think it almost strengthens the case to include them in the DCEU. So that is my thoughts on that subject. Uh, turning to non-CW TV news related, well, we got the news uh, this past Sunday that Gotham on Fox scored a last minute renewal, but that it and it will be coming back for a fifth season, but it will be the show's final season. And then Deadline also reported that it's said to be a 13 episode, so a shortened season uh, that will be eyed for a mid-season premiere, which makes sense. 13 episodes gets Gotham to that magic number of 100 episodes, which is considered the key for getting syndication. And then you can sell off those syndication rights, and then that just becomes, you know, money in the bank for airing episodes. Uh, they have said that this, final, this fifth and final season of Gotham will focus on Bruce Wayne's transformation into the Caped Crusader. Apparently, Gotham has only been averaging 3.7 million viewers and 1.2 in the 18 the 49 demo and wasn't expected to make it into another year. I personally think that moving it to Thursday nights probably didn't help those ratings. So I there's been no news about when Gotham will start will air when it comes back next season, but you know, we'll see. I also think it's probably why they're trying to move Arrow from Thursdays to Mondays again. It's just th- those later in the weeks just do I don't think those are good nights for network television. So yay. And and for the people who've been saying, hey, you know, are, are we going to end with a shot of Batman, this and that? I remember uh, one of the showrunners of Gotham saying that they imagined the final shot of the f- whatever ended up being the series finale was going to be Bruce in the cape and cowl looking down at Gotham City, and that was going to end the show. So I so since this final season is going to concentrate on his transformation into Batman, I do see that that's probably how the show is going to end the way they said it's going to end. Kind of reminiscent of how Smallville did end on 
the shirt rip. So I, I think something along those lines. Now, interesting enough, now that Gotham's going off the air, uh, Bruno Heller, who was the show creator for Gotham, is jumping over to the MGM-owned premium cable network and has been given a 10-episode straight-to-series order for a new Batman prequel series called Pennyworth. And this project will evolve around Alfred, the best friend and butler to Bruce Wayne, but it will be set in the 60s with Alfred being depicted as a former British SAS soldier who forms a secret company and goes to work with Thomas Wayne in 1960s London. Uh, Sean Pertwee, who currently plays Alfred on Gotham, is not involved, which makes sense. I mean, he's got to be significantly younger to play that version of the character. Uh, Casting has not yet begun, and the series is set in a completely different universe uh, despite uh, coming from the exact same producers as Gotham. So this is not going to be a prequel to Gotham. This is going to be another multiverse where we get to see swinging 60s and basically James Bond Alfred. I'm in. I can't say anything about anyone else. I'm in. Now, I don't have Epics, which is the, you know, which is the network it's going to be on. So I'll probably buy this thing digitally. But Bruno Heller will pin the script and executive produce. And Danny Cannon will also executive produce and direct the pilot as he did for Gotham. Uh, I, seeing Danny Cannon involved it makes me a little bit more excited than Bruno Heller because I felt like Bruno Heller had a stronger hand in the first season of Gotham, which in my opinion is Gotham's weakest season. And the more Danny Cannon kind of took over, I thought the show got more successful. So, you know, we'll see. I, I'm, just, I'm sorry. It's a 60s spy show with Alfred. I'll be watching that. Um, Ray did properly uh, make the connection to that excellent episode of Batman the Animated Series called The Lion and the Unicorn that, re- that kind of brought the idea of, you know, Alfred's past life as a secret agent, which I think will be awesome. So I'll be tuning in for that. Uh, this was this this news dropped Monday and was kind of like out of complete left field. But DC Comics announced that for their DC Universe streaming service, they have already given a 13 episode series order to a Doom Patrol series which is going to be a spin-off of the yet-to-air Titan series. We already knew that there was an episode of Titans called Doom Patrol, that the Doom Patrol was going to appear in Titans, especially since in comics lore, Beast Boy was originally a Doom Patrol member before he was a Teen Titans member. So I just find this incredible that they're actually going to... They've already announced a spin-off for a show that hasn't even aired yet. I believe Brent was the one who said, that's what we call confidence. And so, uh, uh, hey, I'm all in. I love the use of this DC Universe streaming service to make shows about these properties that you just aren't bankable on network television. Because let's be honest, the only people who are going to be signing up for this streaming service are the hardcore fans anyway. So give them that properties that the general audience are just not going to recognize, but that we as DC Comics fans go, that's kind of awesome. Let's watch that. So there was a series description that was released on the DC Comics official blog, and it reads the following. Doom Patrol is a reimagining of one of DC's most beloved group of outcast superheroes, Robot Man, Negative Man, Elastigirl, and Crazy Jane, led by modern-day mad scientist Dr. Niles Calder, otherwise known as the Chief. The Doom Patrol's members each suffer horrible accidents that gave them superhuman abilities, but also left them scarred and disfigured. Traumatized and downtrodden, the team found purpose through the Chief who brought them together to investigate 
investigate the weirdest phenomena in existence and protect Earth from what they find. Part support group, part superhero team, the Doom Patrol is a band of superpowered freaks who fight for a world that wants nothing to do with them. Picking up after the events of Titans, Doom Patrol will find these reluctant heroes in a place they never expected to be, called to action by none other than Cyborg, who comes to them with a mission hard to refuse, but with a warning that is hard to ignore. Their lives will never, ever be the same. Now that's cool because it's it's going to be a direct follow-up apparently to Titans and Cyborg gets mentioned in this description, which we hadn't heard anything about Cyborg being related in the Titan show. So that also makes me wonder, is, Ty- is Cyborg going to show up in Titans or is he going to show up first in this Doom Patrol series? And it's being executive produced by all the same people as Titans, Greg Berlani, Jeff Johns, Jeremy Carver, Sarah Shester. Uh, I totally butchered that name. I'm sorry. So can't wait to watch that show. It's Once again, it's just, once again, the DC Universe streaming service is like, you know, shut up and take my money. I'm going to be signing up for this puppy. By the way, I sent on a tweet earlier this week. A lot of people, because of the show being announced, are getting really interested in Doom Patrol. And people were asking a lot about, you know, where should they start? You know, where's good starting points in the comics to check out Doom Patrol? I always recommend uh, the original Silver Age run, but definitely also Grant Morris's Grant Morrison's run in the 80s with Vertigo. I, I believe Crazy Jane, who got mentioned in the description, was actually a character that Grant Morrison created for his run, so you kind of want to get both runs to really get the full spectrum of Doom Patrol characters. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Miscellaneous questions. Friend of the show, Greg Katzman, tweeted and asked, "Um, have you watched Suicide Squad Hell to Pay? If so, what did you think? Greg, yes, I have watched it. What did I think? I thought it was balls to the walls crazy, and I loved it. My, I don't know if I've said this on the show before but my review of it was that was a dc universe grindhouse road trip that thing was ultra crazy ultra violent and i loved it i thought it was a hoot so yes i enjoyed hell to pay and i'm looking forward to when we do get around to it eventually in our dc universe animated original movie reviews uh greg's second question was what are your thoughts on the new animated take of the death of superman the first part is written by peter j tomasi to which I say, I had no idea that Tomasi was writing it, and now I'm in love with it even more. Because I have loved Tomasi's run on Superman Rebirth. And my take on the new Death of Superman is that it looks like it's going to be an awesome, much more faithful adaptation of the Death of Superman storyline, while also incorporating itself into the DC animated continuity that these movies have had, starting with Justice League War. So, I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward forward to it and to hear that Tomasi is writing it gets me all kinds of giddy kind of like you know when uh J.M. Dematis wrote Just Like Dark and that was a film I was ex- very excited about as well I love it when the comic writers jump in and work on these animated movies so you actually got me more excited for it than I already was Greg so thank you very much <laughs> Brent from you know Fans of the Borders and DC TV Squadcast had some questions his first smart aleck question was why don't you read more comics And it's called Job and Kids. There's your answer, Brent. Uh, But his real question after that was, uh, what's the most recent comic arc, and he he also said recent to you, that you enjoyed and most recent you didn't like? Well, I can tell you, Brent, that the most recent comic arc that I literally read a week ago today uh, that I enjoyed the most was Batman White Knight by Sean Murphy. It was an eight-issue limited series. It was written and drawn 
by Sean Murphy. It's a little, it's an Elseworlds tale, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, issue 8 came out last week. I got so behind that I just waited for issue 8 to come out, and then I binged all 8 issues at one time, and it was glorious. I loved it. Uh, the most recent arc that I didn't like would have been The Shadow Batman by Steve Orlando. That thing was terrible. I did not like that at all. Uh, extremely disappointing considering how excited I originally was for the team-up. You may notice that uh, Earth One Tim from Beer with Geeks and I had done a series of reviews on YouTube covering the Batman Shadow crossovers. And we reviewed the entire, the first crossover uh, from published by DC called Batman the Shadow. And it was okay. And then we did review the first issue of The Shadow Batman that was published under Dynamite. And then the same day that I binged all of White Knight, I binged all of The Shadow Batman, and I was incredibly and utterly disappointed by that crossover. So both of those were a week ago. So I think that's pretty as recent as I can get. So there you go, Brent. Yay on Batman White Knight. Everyone should go and pick it up. The Shadow Batman, leave it on the shelf. Those are my opinions. And then uh, to wrap up the last little bit of questions that I got on Twitter yesterday when I put out my feelers, uh, Eric Hands on Twitter asked, what would be your dream video game that's superhero related? And I would say, I already got those. They're called the Arkham games. Thank you very much. But if I had to go with a game that I would like to see in the future, I would like a rock steady developed Justice League game. Let me play all the characters, not just Batman. But I am pretty stoked with my Arkham series. So that's my answer for that. And Eric Hans also asked, also from teacher to teacher, do you incorporate your love for DC with your lesson plans? If so, how? Well, one thing as I did was I actually founded a after-school comic book club at my school. So that's how I like to incorporate my love of just comics in general. I, do, I will admit, I, I do go, I am a little prejudiced. I do lean a little bit more DC in what I talk about. I try to throw in a little Marvel just to be fair. Uh, but then during uh, my my own lesson plans, I, I, use, I use DC characters as examples. Yeah, it's great for talking about theme or just coming up with mnemonic devices to help kids remember how to write something. I have a little trick called bats and you better believe I throw a Batman poster on the whiteboard when I'm talking about that. So, yep, that's how I do it. Uh, Eric Jones on Twitter said, simple question, or maybe not. What is your favorite version of the DC Universe? For example, DCEU, Arrowverse, Tim Diniverse, the animated films universe, and so on. Hands down, Eric Jones, hands down, it is the DC Animated Universe that started that, you know, Batman, the animated series, Superman, the animated series, Batman Beyond, Zeta Project, Static Shock, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, hands down. That thing started when I was 10 years old. It didn't end till I was in my 20s. I mean, it almost wins just because it, it A, has been there for a vast majority of my life. And also, it introduced so much of the DC Universe to me. There are so many things about the DC Universe that those animated series showed me before I ever read them in the comics. So definitely the uh, Bruce Timm, Paul Dini, Alan Burnett, all those guys, the DC Animated Universe from Batman the Animated Series to Justice League Unlimited. That is my all-time favorite version of the DC Universe right now. Uh, Greg Katzman had also asked me, we both love Man of Steel, but what's your biggest criticism of the film? 
though? I think I can completely agree with Tim here and say the dialogue in spots. It's a little wah, wah, wah. And I think we addressed some of that in our commentary that Brent, Tim, and I recorded for Man of Steel, which is available currently on Patreon if you want to go check that out. And then Nathan Wobbly Boots 85 also asked, if you had to cobble together at least a five-man team of C and D list heroes to battle a Mazo, what's your team? Ooh, and I basically went for all the people with the weirdest powers that I don't think a Mazo could copy. So I thought of like Booster Gold, Bawana Beast, Ted Cord, Blue Beetle, uh, Wildcat, and I was trying to think of somebody else, like who would be like my fifth member, maybe someone like Huntress. Once again, pick some very depowered people so Amazo doesn't have someone to copy their powers or give them wacko powers like Buana Beast like how's Omega gonna copy that so that's my answer well guys that is it for all the news and all the questions that were sent in this week so I want to thank you I am now gonna do something a little extra and I am just going to whip through the final part what should have been part three of our listener Q&A section and literally these questions are from about a year ago I did have to cut some out because some of them were Justice League related and so they were questions that were being asked before the release of Justice League but there were some questions that um, were still relevant and because some people can't let it go I am going to uh, just I'm going to answer as many of these as I can and in you know hopefully you know, if you've been waiting to hear your question answered you'll hear it here uh, Ian Jackson had sent us a question asking about what other DC properties would we like to see made into a movie? At, and what properties do you think could sustain a movie or would fit great into the DCEU? I I think a lot of movies that have been announced since this question was asked, you know, fit in really well. Like getting Birds of Prey going, getting Batgirl going. I would still love to see the question in the DC universe. That is a that is a character that it's really intriguing to me, and I think would make a really cool film that would fit. It definitely would fit in sort of like the old tone of the DCEU. Still waiting to watch Aquaman, Shazam, Wonder Woman 2 to see what the new tone is going to be and see if that's going to fit. Um, I also think something maybe like Challengers of the really oddball and kind of fun to put out there as a sort of adventure type story. Maybe something more along the lines of like of what we kind of think that Steven Spielberg is thinking about doing with Blackhawks. I think that might be kind of cool. Uh, Brent had sent in some questions asking about you know, everyone talks about saying Superman and Batman the DC do you think we'll ever see Wonder Woman uh no but obviously with that Themyscira shout out on Legends this season that was kind of cool uh he did ask what was our favorite use of previous DC actors in the DCCW and he named off a lot of you know you no know, John Wesley Shipp Linda Carter Mark Hamill Dean Cain Laura Vandervoort uh he said that John Wesley Shipp seemed the obvious choice for how prominent he's been uh but I would agree with you Brent I feel like not only was John Wesley Shipp been u- utilized the most so to the great effect I also think he's been the one who's kind of put in maybe with maybe him and Mark Hamill have also put in the strongest performances of some of this legacy casting that they have had so far some of the other ones have been a little cheesy and over the top or not as strong in my opinion but I've I've, I've dug John Wesley Shipp and even Mark Hamill uh, 
but definitely ship i think has been the strongest use of legacy casting uh gabriel 99 uh had asked what would you say is the reasons behind the negativity for dc films and tv products i feel that a part of it comes from people clinging on to their favorite versions of these characters and therefore refuse to see or accept a different take on these characters in the current media would be interested to hear your thoughts well gabriel 99 your thoughts are my thoughts there are just way too many freaking versions of these characters that everyone's got a favorite. And if the new version doesn't look like the old version, a lot of people have some cognitive dissonance and just cannot accept the new version. So I think you pretty much just answered your own question. And then who's your favorite DC villain and why? The Joker. Do I really have to explain that one? He's crazy. He's psychotic. And I think he makes the perfect villain because he really doesn't have a limit. And those make really awesome villains, in my opinion. Uh, Vince, I think it's... Bowie or boy? Sorry, Vince. I can't. I, I'm, sl- I'm slaughtering your name. Asked, what are your guys' opinion on Superman, and why do you think so many people complain he is overpowered and a boring character? I don't get all the hate towards Superman. Uh, I think the question becomes: it, it's the classic thing that some writers deal with is when you have a character who's that strong is coming up with uh, obstacles for that character to overcome when the character gets written to a point where he is so strong, he does have so many powers, what do you give him that he can't easily defeat? Which was a big reason that I remember when the post-crisis reboot happened and John Byrne wrote him, they really scaled down his power set. He couldn't breathe in space. There was a lot of things that he used to be able to do. You know, his his costume could get torn. Uh, so I think that I think that's it. I think it's just that some people find it when people don't keep Superman's powers in check that it becomes, well, what can you do with him that actually creates a believable, believable as far as comic books are concerned, obstacle for the character. And when it comes to the character being boring, I think it just, it depends on a version of the character that they've seen or the way someone is writing them. Because... A character like Superman, who is supposed to be truth, justice, the American way, and kind of a, a a role model in the hands of less accomplished writers, can come across as very one note and two dimensional, and honestly, isn't written interestingly. You know, we we kind of talked about in our Doomsday review how that was a very boring version of Superman. He wasn't given a lot to do. He wasn't given a lot. He, his character wasn't given an arc or a chance to really grow, and so he wasn't that interesting. So I think the problem is is that there's too many versions of the character that's been written in a way that doesn't appeal to people because it just seems same old same old or one note so i mean that's my answer to that one uh don stansfield asked i always hear a movie needs to make double its production cost to be considered successful covering marketing and other costs thoughts um i don't think well it depends on uh, successful has become a very subjective term do you mean profitable then maybe. I mean, obviously, there's a certain level of success. There's an objective level of success is, did the movie make the studio money? And I think that is one measure of success. There's also the measure of, was it critically successful? Do you, so do you get good word of mouth from you know, the media? But there's also, was it successful with the audience? And so the thing is, did you get people who wanted to watch the movie and then tell other people to go watch the movie and then want other people to keep going back to see 
see the movie. Uh, I, you know, I feel like that that whole idea that a movie has to double its production cost because that's how much the marketing cost. I, I feel like that that's a that's a shortcut. That's kind of a that's kind of a cop out to try to figure out how much movies. The truth is, a lot of times we don't know exactly how much these movies cost. We don't know how much actually was spent on these movies. We don't know how much the marketing actually cost. And so I, I feel like that that's like a really easy cheat for some people to use. But I don't think it's always one hundred percent accurate. And then Don also asked uh, that he's in the process, at least a year ago he was, in becoming an elementary school teacher and wondered if I ever used comics or comic related material in my curriculum, which I will refer you back to Eric's question earlier in the show. Eric Jones had asked, what DC storyline would you most want to see adapted for either a live action film or animated? Eric had asked, uh, had said that he really wanted to see an animated film based on the long Halloween. Hallelujah, Eric? Yes, of course, I think that'd probably have to be like a two-part adaptation, almost like the way Dark Knight Returns was. Uh, I would say yes to Long Halloween. I would also throw in, I would love to see an adaptation of Superman Red Sun. And he also asked, what are the DC stories you find yourself reading more than once? Uh, Eric always finds himself reading Mike Grell's Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters. And I think I've made no, I don't think I've ever done any kind of uh, pussyfooting around this. I read The Dark Knight Returns like every year. So that's my answer to that one. Uh, Jared Middleton asked, uh, well, first he says that he can't help but have a huge man crush on Henry Cavill. And he just wondered if we have a man crush on a character from the DCEU, who would it be? Cavill. I'm there with you, Jared. I understand that. I understand that feeling. Uh, What characters would you like to see in the DCEU that haven't seen yet? Or who would you cast to play them? I don't get into the fan casting, but I would love to see a Green Arrow and Black Canary in the DCEU, to be honest with you. And in Suicide Squad 2, what is your ideal squad ensemble and who would you cast to play your choices? Uh, I think pretty much take all the surviving members from the first movie and then throw in like Bronze Tiger. And I think there's a really interesting arc in the Ostrander run where Vixen joins the Suicide Squad. And that was kind of cool. But there's all kinds of stuff from that from that original Ostrander run. But I would just say take the take the surviving members from the uh, f- from the first movie and then throw in Bronze Tiger, and I'd probably be pretty happy. Uh, James Prazik asked, "Do you think they will ever address the empty capsule in Superman's ship from Man of Steel? Do you have any theories of who it might be?" Supergirl? Question um, mark. Would I like them to address it? Yes. Do I feel like they're going to address it? Honestly, the people. People who set up that empty capsule aren't probably going to be much involved in the future. So I'm afraid that's going to be one of those dangling plot threads that do not get addressed. Uh, I still, however, do go by the officially sanctioned uh, Walmart prequel comic that was written by Sterling Gates, but that had a story by Jeff John, Zack Snyder, and David Goyer that did confirm that, yes, the empty pod was Supergirl. Uh, but it was also like, like millennia before Man of Steel happened. So I don't know how that would work out. But if you go by that comic and consider that comic canon, because it was worked on by the people who worked on Man of Steel, yes, the empty capsule was Supergirl. Uh, Andrew Chin said, our websites, vloggers, bloggers, and he put in quotes, journalists, out to bash DC because they know it'll drive clicks and comments? Or are we, as DC fans, taking things too personally? Yes and yes. Uh, Yes, negative DC headlines get clicks. It's kind of a proven fact at this point. But are we also taking things too personally? I would agree, yes. 
I think the only way to stop them from getting clicks is to stop clicking on them and stop sharing them and stop paying attention to them and just ignore them or block them or mute them. That, I mean, just ignore them. Do not engage. That is my personal opinion. Uh, Michael Johnson asks, as Young Justice is set to return, he said next year, but it's this year. Yay! What DC property would you love to see adapted in a Young Justice style? Uh, what would your pitch be? Ooh, good question because that's a Greg Wiseman style and I love me some Greg Wiseman. Uh, I would probably like to see something. Mm, you know, it would be really cool to see him do like an action Suicide Squad animated series, like with ongoing adventures. That would be kind of cool. That I would like to see, especially with the DC Universe streaming service where they've already said that Young Justice Season 3 is going to be a lot more adult oriented. I think that would be fun. And then Michael also asks, what are your guys' favorite DC stories? Uh, I'm sorry. Dark Knight Returns is always a good one for me. Uh, I have a very special place in my heart for the death and return of Superman. Uh, I love the entire Scott Snyder run on Batman and the entire Jeff Johns run on Justice League. But for Jeff Johns Justice League, I definitely loved Forever Evil and Dark Side War. And for Scott Snyder's Batman, I loved the whole Court of Owls run and also uh, Death of the Family for some recent things. Uh, Tom Christie from Sydney, Australia. Thank you once again for my Wonder Woman steelbook. I appreciate that. Asks, uh, do you think there's any chance that we'll ever see Crisis on Infinite Earths explored in some way in an upcoming TV show or film? I always wonder sometimes whether that's going to be a Infinity War-style... 10, 20 movies down the road in the DCEU or just eventually that the CW is finally going to do uh, in- Infinite Earths. Like, when, like almost like when they're ready to end the Arrowverse, we just do an Infinite Earths kind of crossover event. I mean, those are, those are my ways to do both of those. Uh, and lastly, Stu, Stu Little, talking to you, buddy. He had two questions. First question, when you guys were spitballing casting ideas for the Gotham City Sirens movie, I noticed you skewed relatively young with the actresses. Have you considered the Batman's older status in this regard and actress who would fit in uh, with have a similar career length? Um, now, Stu, I thought I, I thought I've always skewed older when I talked about casting choices because I have always been, and you mentioned this in your question, I have always been a proponent for Carla Cuccino as Selena Kyle. She's always been my pick. So, no, I agree. I, I agree. You know, if we're going to have, if we're going to have a Gotham City Sirens cast in current continuity with a 20-year-old Batman, we need actresses in their late 30s and 40s. So I completely agree with you. And so, yeah. Now, when it comes to, because Harley's already cast, but I would say someone like Carlo Guccino for a, a Catwoman. And as far as a Poison Ivy's concerned, I, I really don't, I don't know who would be interested at this point. I know a lot of people throw out like Jessica Chastain or someone like that, but no, no, I agree with you. Older actresses, you know, more older, you know, not 20-somethings, but more like 30s and 40-somethings. And then uh, Stu Little also asked, after Suicide Squad, are there any other left-field DC properties you'd like to get greenlit? Midnighter and Apollo is something I'd love to see in the DC be bold enough to produce. A same-sex crime-fighting duo who take on the weirder threats of that universe and engage in ridiculous action scenes like this example. And he, he pointed to the current mini, well, what was a current miniseries a year ago. Uh, yeah, that the whole, that was like Wildstorm and that, uh, Stormwatch, definitely left-field. Really cool concept. Would make a 
a really awesome sort of hard sci-fi kind of take. Midnighter's an interesting character. Uh, Steve Orlando wrote a great uh, series for him at the end of The New 52 that I thought was really good. So I like what you're, I like what you're thinking. Like I said, uh, Challengers of the Unknown would be kind of an awesome take. But they've also, since you asked the question, have, have also announced a lot of left field properties. And I said before, this whole idea of doing a new Gods movie really has me excited. So that's that's something I really am looking forward to. And that's it. Yes, I've done it. I have covered the news this week. I took care of questions that were submitted this week. And I cleaned out the mailbag. It is done. We can, we can put that one in the books. So, guys, thank you so much for listening to a, a solo episode with me tonight. I really appreciate your patience and for listening. It's been a lot of fun, and of course, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can contact the show at Suicide Squadcast on Twitter. You can contact me at ScottDC27. You can, of course, reach out to Tim whenever, you know, he gets released from, you know, the depths of hell and at Allen Fire. And, of course, you can email us at SuicideSquadcast at gmail.com. We love interacting with you. We love answering your questions, obviously. So please do not hesitate to reach out to us. You can find us on Vero, Facebook, SuicideSquadcast.com, at Patreon.com, slash squadcast media go check out the other shows support us on patreon if you can and that's it for this week thank you for listening and as we always like to remind you go out and keep reading dc have a good week personal message from Scott to Tim. Seriously, dude, it's been two weeks. I know work is tough. I understand. It's been tough for two and a half years now since we've been working together. But dude, people don't want to listen to me for a whole hour. It just isn't what they tune in for. It's been a rough couple of weeks for me, you know, shouldering the burden of the show. I need you to start showing up for work now, buddy. I really do. Or your pink slip is going to look a little bit like this.